something different later, which makes your word amazing. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening. Just like Deb is not a redhead, I don't have salt and pepper hair. So I'm... Pardon? And I don't have facial hair either. So, <laughs> I'm not Brian, but Brian and Nicole are out of town. They are taking a vacation right now, which praise God that they're able to have some time with one another and with themselves. And if you're watching, hi. Um, oh, good. Well, they are super. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Um, <laughs> well, Brian asked me if I would do the service tonight. And this is actually the first service that I've ever done as a main service. I've taught the class, but I've never done a main service. So I'm like slightly nervous, but God's going to take care of it, and it's cool. But before we get started, I would like to open us up in prayer, and then we're going to get into what God has for us tonight. So God, we just love you so much. We thank you for the goodness of your word, for the goodness of you, that you have integrity, and that you never lie, and you never do anything against any of us, but you truly have good intentions for us all the time. And not just good intentions, but the best of intentions. God, we thank you that you have such a deep and pure love for us. And we just ask that you fill this place tonight with your presence, with your goodness, and just completely fill me with whatever you want said. Let me be your mouthpiece and let this place just fill with you and let us, let us just honor you tonight, God. We love you. In your name, amen. So because I've never done a main service, if I treat you guys like you're teenagers, it's because I'm thinking that you guys are the youth and it's going to be great. Um, but this is kind of how I set up with the kids because I move around a whole lot. I like to move and I like to talk. And if I ask you questions, uh, we can direct them at Kristen because Kristen's used to them. But Brian asked me a year ago if I would get this sermon ready. Um, actually over a year ago because we were down in Texas at the Believers Convention. I'm like, sure, that'll be great. And I wrote up one draft and sent it to him. And then I went back and rewrote it. And then I went back and rewrote it. And he kept asking for a finished copy. And I never was able to send one to him or hadn't sent one to him because God just kept giving me more and more revelation on this. And so I'm going to try to not be 100% plus 10 of my pastor tonight and have it end in a timely manner, but you know what? God's going to do what God's going to do. So tonight we're going to be talking about worth and what our worth is to God. Because I really think that as a whole, we've really, really missed what that is. Satan's really tricked us on what our worth is. And I think that that starts with the common misconception that the words deserve and worth are the same. Because you, I know that for me anyway, I went to church, and the churches I went into, I would hear all about the wages of sin are death, you're a sinner, all this, which is absolutely true. And I would associate that with what I meant to God. And so often I think that we hear all about, well, you know what, you've messed up, you've missed it, you've hurt people, you've done all of this stuff that's wrong, and we attach that to ourselves as our identity rather than actually seeking out what our true identity, what our true value is to God. 
Because Satan has consistently deceived us away from that. Because the more Satan can keep you away from knowing the true worth and the true value that you have in God and what you're worth to God, the longer he can keep you from reaching the destiny that God has called you to. And so tonight we're going to start with a super familiar passage in the Bible. And J.D., if you will throw up John 3.16. And we're going to read it in the Amplified. And it says, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son so that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him shall not perish, come to destruction or be lost, but have eternal and everlasting life. See, our worth was pre-established by God. This verse says so. God greatly loved and dearly prized us. Let that sink in really quickly because I think that this is a verse that we tend to gloss over as a body of believers. Stephen actually mentioned that, I don't know if it was in tithes and offerings or the sermon that he had this weekend, that there are verses that we hear so frequently that they almost lose meaning to us because we can recite them and then move forward. But this verse said that God so greatly loved us that he gave up the only son he had who was unique. And there's actually a story that Jeremy Pearson's uh, shares and Brian heard him um, preach this at I believe it was the Believers Convention where he talks about the fact that your worth is determined by the buyer. So let's say that I wanted to buy Deb. What she's worth to me is what I'm willing to pay for. God, we were worth to God everything. We were worth everything. See, he only had one of Jesus. It's not like he had a big surplus of them. It's not like there were Jesuses that he can just pull off the shelf and be like, well, this one's not going to, I'm not going to miss this one. He gave his most valuable thing for us. And not just that, but God's the one that created what value is in the first place. See, this is so important because As a whole, if Satan can keep us convinced that we're not worth anything to God, he can keep attacking us and have it not even phase us because we think that we should be worth it. We think that that's what we're worth to God. And it's not true at all. See, we're greatly loved and we gave everything. And his greater grace is what determines our worth. Not because we earn Jesus coming, but because his greater grace determined, I want to send my son for them. I want them. They're mine. I love them. And I'm going to give everything for them. See, to God, the difference between deserve and worth is so different. It tells us in Romans that the wages of sin are death. But see, it's the gift of God that's everlasting life. God knows that we deserve, as humans, without him, that we deserve that punishment. We cast him aside. We gave him away. We set him as far back as we could have. But God had already determined before we were even born that we were worth everything to him. And see, this is one of these sacred cows that people are kind of afraid to touch. 
And I know that there are actually preachers that as soon as they start talking about what you're worth to God, it's like you come up against this crazy rain fire of this is heretical, you're saying you're a God, you're saying that you're, you're worth as much as God. And so people don't talk about this. And in all honesty, I didn't super want to talk about it either because I would like for you guys to still like me. But what's important, I mean, you laugh, but seriously, people get so ornery over with the weirdest stuff. But if you don't know what you're worth and you don't know how much God loves you, you're missing out on one of the biggest aspects of your relationship. If you'll throw up Luke 15, 8, and I love these passages. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. And is ten up there? Cool. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels, even when one sinner repents. And actually, if you'll also throw up Matthew 13, 45, and 46, these verses really go hand in hand. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. That is how God views each and every single one of us. He views one of his sheep being missing like that woman viewed one of her coins being missing. He will give everything he has to go after it. He gave Jesus See, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do anything. He created us. We rejected him. So he could have very well just stayed and was like, well, they rejected me. Great, I'll make something better. But we were what God wanted. God had decided long ago that we were what was important. And so for those, for those coins, one coin had just as much value to that woman as all the coins together. See, without that one coin... It wasn't as important to that woman. She wanted everything. And it, it's not out of greed, it's out of passion. See, God has a passion for each and every single one of us. If Rebecca goes missing, he doesn't not notice it. He not only notices it, but he focuses on Rebecca. Because Rebecca is just as important to him as a million other people. It tells us in the Bible that he will go after that one sheep. And it's not just because he wants to be like, look at my flock, and I've got so many people that love me and follow me. It's because he loves us. Because we're prized by him. We're treasured by him. He cares so deeply for us that he will give everything he has. He already did it. It's not a, we'll let him prove it. It's, that happened like 3,000 years ago. Catch up. And I don't mean that mean, but it happened. It's done. He gave everything he had in Jesus. See, individually, we we all hold the same sort of worth to Christ. It's not that Mike is more important than Dixie. It's together we're the same. We're all that valued. Sherman is worth just as much to God as Billy Graham. Rachel is worth just as much to God as Sharon. It's not one of us is better than the other. It's we're all so prized and valued and loved. 
And here's what's really cool with that, is that God will spend all of his efforts and did spend all of his efforts to ensure the fact that Satan doesn't steal that one coin. See, God was not willing to let that one coin sit over there so that Satan could come by and scoop it up and be like, my coin now, you got nine, I got one. See, God gives everything he has to ensure that what is valuable to him is cared for, is kept. And that's how valued we are by God. See, the longer, and I said this Sunday morning, but the longer that the devil can keep you like feeling like you're Jesus' worthless charity case, his worthless sidekick that he had to come down and die for, that he had to do all this stuff for because of how badly you suck, that's just a bold-faced lie, and that's the longer that Satan can keep you away from God. That's the longer that he can keep you away from that relationship. And see, it's that sort of miscommunication and detachment from the Father that Satan has latched onto. It's like, let's say that, let's say that Kristen and Sherman, and I'm just going to use them because they're the parent and child relationship I'm looking at right now because they're on the cameras and stuff. Let's say that Sherman thought that Kristen was the greatest thing on earth. He thought that she was just, and she's so pleased right now. But let's, let's, pretend, let's pretend that your dad loves you. No, I'm kidding. Um, let's pretend that Sherman legitimately thinks that she is just the greatest thing. And that's never changing no matter what she does. But Kristen messes up. Let's say Kristen messes up and flunks a test in school and then is driving her dad's truck and accidentally backs into something and ends up catching the microwave on fire on the course of one day. Like, let's just say that it's just a really special day for Kristen. See, Sherman, Sherman's love for her, that's not going to change. No matter what she does, that's going to stay consistent. No matter what she does, that's not fluctuating. He's still going to love her even though she did all that stuff. But see, it's between the action and what is constant all of the time that that miscommunication can happen, that that detachment from our father can happen. That's when Satan comes in and is like, you know what? Your dad's not going to love you as much because you missed it. Your dad's not going to care about you as much because do you see what you did to his truck? He just got it cleaned up real nice too. You caught the microwave on fire? Who catches the microwave on fire? And I do that, so it's cool. But I, I really have. That's a story for another time. But in all seriousness, it's in these moments between what we've done wrong and God still being able to tell us, I still love you. It's okay. Let me help you fix this. So you failed a test. Let me help you with the next one. So you caught the microwave on fire. We'll get a new one, and I'll teach you how to properly use it. So you backed up into something. Stuff can be replaced, and we'll work on your driving. That's fine. But see, when we attach ourselves to fear and to stuff that's not of God, that's when we start to question what our worth is. Because we're attaching our worth to something that's human. We're not attaching ourselves to God. And that's where the biggest danger can come in. And I'll speak for myself personally right now. I had a really, really big issue with this a whole lot. Because I was scared of God. I was really scared to let God love me. I was really, really scared to have a relationship with him. And I was really scared because even though I knew in my head that God knew everything I had done, 
somewhere in there, I didn't have the relationship with him built up enough to know that he was still going to love me even though I'd missed it. And so I tried to work to make him love me, which is crazy. And, I mean, I know that I've heard this saying a whole lot that the best things in life, they don't come free. I mean, you ha- you've got to work for what you get. So if I wanted God's love, I had to work for it. That's what I thought. So it was a how many youth groups can I participate in as a kid? How many times can I go work at Bible camp? How many Bible studies can I be a part of in college? How many Bible studies can I start leading in college? How many ministry opportunities will I have to serve in college? How many churches can I actually attend? And the answer was five. It was a crazy time. But how, how much, how much, how much, how much? Because I didn't know who my dad was. I didn't know that his love for me is where all of my worth is wrapped up in. I thought that I had to work to earn it. When God has already given me everything, he's, it's already handled. I didn't know that God viewed me as a choice pearl that he would give everything for, that he did give everything for. I thought that he saw me as broken and dirty and nasty. And that is unfortunately how the church has portrayed people. That's how the church has portrayed the body of Christ as not worth him. As this wonderful being, which he is, I'm not at all taking away from Jesus. But they've put Jesus on this pedestal, which where he should be, but they've completely trampled us underneath the ground and have completely rid us of our true identity. Because your true identity isn't your mess-ups. Your true identity isn't the fact that you've missed it, the fact that you've hurt people, the fact that you haven't followed after God. Your identity is in the fact that you're God's. Your identity is one with Jesus. You are one with Jesus, and Jesus is already seated at the right hand of Christ. What do you have to do? Nothing. You do nothing, and that's how much you're worth to God. You're his prized treasures. You're his loves. See, you're worth to him. If you'll throw back up Matthew 13, your worth to him is immediate. Sorry, Matthew 13. You're lovely. Thank you. It says that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. Now, obviously, the merchant knows what a choice pearl is. The merchant knows what's of worth. He's been trained. It's not just like I'm out there on the ocean walking around hoping that I see a rock that's real shiny and I think that it's worth something and it's just a broken like bottle. But it's someone who's trained to know quality. It's like I've been looking for suits for the wedding. I don't know men's clothing, but luckily Stephen sure has knowledge on it. Stephen is someone who's been trained to know what quality is. God obviously knows what quality is. He's this merchant. He's looking for a choice pearl. And then in 46, it says, when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. See, his decision was immediate. It's not like he went back and pondered on it for a while and thought and tried to weigh his options and whether or not he could really afford it and what way he could bargain this for cheaper. No, he gave everything. There was no bargaining. He had already determined your value. He already knew that when he saw Dixie, he was going to give all that he had to get Dixie. He didn't 
negotiate for cheaper. He didn't negotiate a way to get two for one. We were worth everything he had. He had already counted the cost. How cool is that? God had already counted the cost when it came to giving up his son. The most important and valuable thing that he had, it was an immediate decision of, if I get this opportunity, I'm giving everything I have because this is just as important to me. We were what was important to God. We think of Jesus as being, and I'm not putting Jesus down at all. I swear I'm not. So if that's coming across, squash that bug real quick. But we, we view ourselves as so much less. We view ourselves typically as not worth it. And like God had to do this. It says in the Bible that sending Jesus for us so that God could reap a harvest of us, it pleased him. So it, while it grieved his heart to see him hang, it pleased God because he knew that he was going to get us. Think of it that way. God got us. We were his victory prize. We were the trophy he got. Us. We're important to him. We're not, we're not just a bunch of junk. We're so important to him. And see, I think that it's almost like we hear it, and that's great, and it sinks in a little bit, but it's almost like we're ashamed of it because we've been taught so often that we're not worth it, that we're not worth him, that we shouldn't be excited about the fact that God loves us this much. We shouldn't be ashamed of it because God's not a second best option. God determines our worth, and we're his. See, we need to realize where our identity is. Before we can go any further, we have to realize our identity. Our identity, according to the Bible, as soon as you accept Jesus, you are his child. You are a co-heir along with Christ. You're his friend. And the Bible says that you're the bride of Christ. And guys, I don't want you to tune out because you know what? You're just as much the bride of Christ as I am, like a son of God, because there's no sort of gender in heaven. So collectively, we make up the body. So if you, we think on this, as a relationship, and I kind of touched on this Sunday morning too, but if we think on our relationship with God as a marriage, like we should, like a marriage between us and Jesus, then we're one, right? Because as husband and wife, you become one. And I didn't get this until it was getting closer and closer to get married to George. I, I got in theory what a marriage meant, but as we're approaching it, we're going through marriage counseling and all this stuff, more and more often it's, I'm one with him. When he wins, I win. When he's right, I'm right. So if we're one with Jesus, even in our mess-ups, we've already won. We've already defeated everything. So that's our identity. Our identity is being God's friend. Our identity is being his child. Our identity is being the bride of Christ, being his partner. See, we're his partner. It's not like God, it's not like Jesus, and hear what I'm saying, it's not like Jesus is this demanding CEO that's just telling you what to do all the time. See, we have a relationship with him where we're partners. We're his mouthpieces here on the earth. We're his hands, we're his feet. We do what he wants us to do because he only has the best for us. So it's not a slave thing. It's not a boss employee's 
thing. It's a relationship. It's a marriage. It's a marriage between us and God. And when we start to seek our identity in anything other than God, we become the world's mistresses. We cheat on God. It's what we do. See, when I... When I used to try and determine my worth and attach it onto something, I'm cheating on my partner. I'm cheating on him. And that may sound weird and it may sound silly, but it's true. If you try to establish your worth through your job by being the best employee you can be, by being like the greatest at whatever it is that you do, and that's where your worth is, that's where you associate and attach yourself, then you're cheating on God. If you're trying to associate your worth through your marriage, and I'm not saying marriage isn't important, but if you're trying to determine who you are and what you're worth based upon what your husband or wife thinks you're worth, you're not attaching yourself to God. If you're not attaching yourself to God, you're not really his in that moment. In that moment, you're choosing something over him. Because somewhere deep down, you think, and you know what, I'm just going to speak for myself. Somewhere deep down, I thought that there was something more. I thought that there was something more that I had to do. I thought that there was something more that I was missing that I couldn't have in God. So I would look for relationships. I would look for guys that I could talk to and hang out with. I would look for my parents to approve of me. I would look to make sure that every friend I have thought that I was the end-all be-all because you know what? I'm Rebecca's friend and I am the the best employee that there is and -and so-and-so likes me so that must mean that I'm great because I didn't think that I was worth enough just me and God. I thought that I had to have all this baggage too. And that's just not true. See, the more that Satan can keep you from actually having that relationship, the more that he can keep you disconnected from your dad, from your friend, the more he can keep piling junk on you. See, if you knew what you were worth, if we knew what we were worth, there is zero way that we would be tolerating half the stuff that's happening in our lives. And it's not in an I'm better than everyone sort of a way. It's you know whose you are. You know what you're worth. You're the child of the living king. You are his co-heir. You are the bride of Christ. So why are you dealing with sickness? Sickness has no part of who you are. You're not worth that. God established that when Jesus died for you. Why are you dealing with money issues? You don't need to deal with that. Your dad has everything you will ever need, ever. You're not worth that. This isn't some sort of prosperity gospel preaching. This is who you are in Jesus. This is who you are in God. And God has said that you are worth far, far more than to deal with the junk that Satan throws at you. And when we keep our identity away from God, when we try to seek it out through other means, That's where we miss it. Because when we try to establish our worth in stuff in the world, that fluctuates. People's opinion fluctuates. Let's say I'm not rooted in God. And I try to make sure that 
Kristen really likes me, and she thinks I'm just the coolest youth leader in the entire world. And I want to make sure that Rebecca really likes me too, and she enjoys being around me, and she enjoys working with me. And I want to make sure that I'm a really, really good congregationalist for Brian and Nicole, that I do what I can to help them, and I associate my worth with what they think of me, that's going to fluctuate all the time because that's temporal. That's not stable. Anything that's not God isn't stable and it won't last. So if we're trying to identify who we are and what we're worth in something that's not Christ, well, you know what? Kristen could be really moody one day and she could wake up and be super irritated at me and come into youth and be all up in an uproar and just think that I am the worst thing ever. And Rebecca could come into youth and tell me that she's done working with me at youth because she really doesn't like me at all. And Brian and Nicole could just go crazy and tell me to get out of the church. and what. But if I've established who I am in them, I'm going to be lost, lost broken. Yeah. And I can tell you this because I've done this. See, I, used, I was a part of the church back right before I moved here. And what's fun is that I have uh, the people I worked with, the youth watching this, and I really didn't intend to preach this either. But I, I worked at a church back in Maine, and I loved it. I loved, loved it. I worked with the kids. It was great. I, our youth group went from being four kids to over 70 in literally a span of like 10 months. It was crazy, and it was amazing. And we, it, it, was, it was one of the coolest times with God I'd ever had in that aspect. But I associated my worth to that church, and I associated who I was by what I was doing. And so what was setting my worth was that youth group. What was setting who I was was who I was in that church. And there was a time in that church where it just did not go well. And we ended up leaving. And it hurt so badly. And I didn't know why. I didn't know why I was so devastated by us leaving that youth group. I didn't know. And it was literally almost a full year it took me to deal with this because I was so broken by this and I didn't get it because I was letting my worth be set by people. I was letting who I was be determined by the people that I served with and that were in that church. And they're not bad people. There were some things that happened that weren't great, but they're not bad people. But people are people, and people are fallible, and people will miss it, and people will mess up. And if you set who you are and what you're worth based upon a human, you're never going to be worth it. You're never going to reach that level. You're going to keep striving for these levels of unattainable perfection that we were never meant to hit because they're not God's. And so when we feel like we're just giving and giving and giving and giving and doing and doing and doing and doing and no one appreciates us and we've given all we can give and we've done all we can do and we've been all that we can be and we feel that spent, it's because we're trying to please everybody. It's because we're trying to establish our worth in what everybody thinks of us. We're trying to do it through works. And it's not until you finally come to the end of yourself, at least for me, that you realize that you had this all along. That you realize, you know what, you didn't have to do all this stuff. God decided before you were even born that you meant the world to him. That you meant his son to him. That he loved you with an everlasting love that will never be changed. That will never, ever 
ever stop, no matter what you do. Never. And because Satan is really good at what he does, he has gotten us as a society to a place where we look to establish ourselves in things. We look to establish ourselves in people. We look to establish ourselves in jobs. Because Satan is really good at pointing us away from things that could bring us to God. He's really good at it. And for me, it wasn't until I had hit that point where I was finally ready to talk to God about it, about the church, because in all honesty, leaving that church and moving here was one of the hardest things I've ever done. It was. It was a really difficult thing to do. And I I ran away from God for a long time because I was like, I've missed this so badly. I'm not going to be worth a mess to God. I'm not going to be worth anything. I had zero desire to ever talk to a kid again. And it was not anything like crazy bad that happened. It was just a whole bunch of miscommunications and stuff. And it just, it was just people focusing on themselves and not God, myself included. But I didn't want to talk to a youth grouper again. I didn't want to be around teenagers. I didn't want to be around kids because I thought I would damage them because I was associating what I could do through myself. I wasn't looking at who I am in God because who I am in God says that I'm victorious over every situation. Who I am in God says that there is no thing that can come against me. No weapon can come against me and destroy me. Who I am in God says that I am victorious all the time. Not just some of the time, not just when I'm on my A game, but when I am at the lowest of the lows, I already have victory, and I had it before I even got there. See, we're not the underdogs in this situation. It's not like we're coming up behind Jesus and we're just pulling up the slack and maybe we'll get it and maybe we won't. We are winners already with God. We're running this race of life to serve him, to show him, to demonstrate his character, to bring his kingdom to earth. That's what we're here to do, not to win. We've already done that. Jesus did it for us because we were worth that to him. See, Jesus very easily could have won it for himself and been like, okay, you do it. And if you're able to do it, then you're, you're worth being up in heaven with me. And that's great. But he won it for himself when everyone turned their backs on him. And he still gave us the keys back. He still gave us this victory with him. So we're not this underdog that's still losing. We're not this person that you've got a place, there's just these crazy odds on them even making it. We've already made it. We've already won. Because God said that you were worth that. It's not, I heard Jesse Duplantis actually say this at the Believers Convention. He was talking about his house that he had. It was not this past year, but the year before. And he was talking about how much it cost. And he was talking about how much money he spent on it. And the comment he made was, he's like, it's not bragging, that's not pride, it's called growth. Because he understands what he's worth to God. And I'm not up here saying that, you know what, we can only eat the best steaks in the world and we have to be draped in cashmere all the time wearing all this like jewelry and stuff and only driving the nicest cars. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying you need to understand what you're worth to God. You're not worth going through 
the messes that Satan likes to make you think that you're worth going through. Satan doesn't or Satan does understand exactly the sort of freedom that we have. But God says, you know what? You're worth more than being sad all the time. You're worth more than having to fight all of this stuff by yourself. You're worth more than feeling sick. You're worth more than having this weight upon you. You're worth more. You're mine. You're mine. We're God's. We need to stop giving ourselves away. And I say this as someone who, who has done it. And there are times when I'll still do it. There are times when I will have said something that will have upset someone. And I'm just going to use Deb in this particular situation because, well, she's Deb. But let's say that I say something that bothers Deb. There's a part of me that initially, I used to anyway, I used to get super freaked out by that because I'm like, oh my gosh, what happens if I'm not being friends with Deb anymore? And she goes around and she tells everybody that I said something to her that's going to upset her. And I lose all of these other people. Am I even going to be worth being friends with? That's crazy talk. Like, and I get it because it's my crazy talk. But it's crazy talk. When God, when Satan gets in your head and tries to talk you out of who you are, you need to tell him to bugger off and shut up. I'm really not trying to be harsh tonight. I really love you all a whole lot. (laughs) But the thing is, is that if you'll throw up Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. We're the church, right? It's not just this fancy schmancy building. We're the church. He has sanctified us. He has purified us. He has cleansed us so that he can present us to himself in all of our glory. Granted, that glory is through Jesus, but it's still our glory. We don't have any spot or any wrinkle or anything when our worth and our identity is rooted in him. When we're rooted in him, there's no blemish on us. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. You're blameless. Okay, that's who, these are words that you are. We are sanctified. We are cleansed. We have glory. We have Christ's glory on us. We have no spot or any wrinkle, but we're holy and we're blameless when we are rooted in Christ. When we attach our value to Jesus, it goes right back to the pedestal that we have Jesus on. That's great. Jesus is up on this like crazy high pedestal. We're up here with him. Okay, we're not down here and it's when we get to heaven, we're here. No, we are blameless with him right now. We're one. And so as we're rooted and tied together with him, it's not we're down here, God's up here. It's we're one with Jesus. We're tied to him. That's who we are. And these are things that we need to confidently and boldly speak over ourselves. 
so that when Satan tries to come up against you and say, you know what, Rebecca, that house that you got, I mean, I guess it's an okay house. And I mean, are you sure that you're happy there? Are you sure that your job's working out real well? Are you sure that your life is what you want it to be? You could probably do better. I mean, Concord was real nice. Are you sure you don't want to move back to Concord? We can tell him to get out. We can tell him that our worth is tied to Christ. And if God led Rebecca to move here, then that's where God's will is for her. And he needs to get out. We'll stop tolerating all this bull crap that Satan continues to throw at us all the time. We'll stop even allowing it to be entertained in our thoughts. We'll cast it down immediately because we know that we're worth more than listening to the crazy ramblings of a defeated foe who has no power whatsoever. What's awesome is that we were purchased by our creator. See, God made us. He made us inside and out. And we could go through every scripture that says that, but I'm sure that you guys know a good bunch of them. But we, we were made by him, and we chose to give ourselves away. He gave us life. He breathed into us. He gave us everything that we have, and still, as a collective whole, as society, we've chosen to give ourselves to other things, to relationships, to our jobs, Essentially over to things that are distractions. And if it's not God, it's Satan's. It's a really easy litmus test. If it's good, it's God. If it's not God, it's Satan, and you don't want to mess with it. But Satan packages stuff up so nice for us, and he makes it look really pretty. And he makes it look like, you know, it wouldn't be that bad. And what's great is that God still loves us, is that he still pursues us. See, before... We were even born. Before mankind as a whole was even formed, he knew that we were going to do that. He hoped against it, but he knew that we were going to choose something other than him at some point in time. And even knowing that our hearts, at times, our flesh can be fleeting, even knowing that our flesh will want to pull us away from him, he still bought us back. When we gave ourselves away willingly, happily, joyfully, he still gave every single thing to buy us back. Yeah. That's not rational. That's God. Yeah. It, it would make zero sense if Stephen made this beautiful bookshelf, if you're a carpenter because that's what you are right now, but if Stephen made this like beautiful bookshelf and it was just wonderful and it was going for all this crazy sort of money, and then somehow the bookshelf found a new owner and it just went and was living somewhere else. I don't know why I used an inanimate object, but it's cool. But let's just say that it was somewhere else. Stephen can make a new one. He can make it better if he wanted to. I'm sure that he would learn tricks and ways to make this all fancy schmancy and look nicer and dressier. But it would make no sense for Stephen to go and buy that bookshelf back. When he can make another one, he can make it better, he can make more. Yeah. But that's what that bookshelf's worth to him. It was worth him buying it back. It was worth God buying us back. He had no reason to do that. I mean, he's, he's the most all-powerful God. 
He could have made mankind look totally different, made us totally great in a completely different way and made us love him without any sort of choice on the matter. We could have loved him unconditionally without being given that option, but God had already decided that we were what he wanted. No other person, no other type of civilization would be worth the same to him. We were his first choice. We were his only choice. He did not come up with a plan B when it came to us. We were the only plan that he had. And so that's why we were worth everything to him. Because he made this world for us. He made us to hang out with him, to fellowship with him, to just be with him. He could have made a whole bunch of worlds. He could have done a whole bunch of things. But we were plan A, number one, and that was it. He was sold. It's like when you find your husband, when you find your wife, when you find that person you're supposed to be with, your heart's sold to them. You're given to them. There is no plan B. There is no other person to look for. There is no other anything because God designed you for that person. God designed us for himself. That's what we're worth to him. That's what a relationship with him looks like. It's not this weird, oh, you're married to Jesus and have it sound creepy sort of a thing. It's a, you're married, to, you're one with God. That's what marriage ultimately boils itself down to, is that we, you're one with that person. Chris and Rachel are one. Paige and Brandon are one. They're one with one another because they've been given to one another by themselves. God gave himself to us. And we gave ourselves to him at one point. We did. It's just a matter of whether or not we continue to give ourselves to him. It's a matter of a daily choice. Because love, it's something that you work at all the time. God daily chooses. I choose them. I've only chosen them. I give myself to them. I love them. They, we are one. I will choose you over and over and over again. We need to come up with that same choice. We need to choose that in those moments where it's really easy to choose something else, to be like, you know what? I don't understand why God's asking me to give this up. I don't understand why he's asking me to stop doing this thing. I really like going out and getting drunk. It's really fun. I don't know why he's telling me to stop doing this. So you know what? Maybe I'm just going to go find something else. Or making the decision of, you know what? I'm one with God, and I will choose God. Even if it doesn't make sense to me, I still choose him because your love is sold out to him, because you are given to him, because you are all in with God. That's where your worth comes in. If you will throw up Romans 5, 6. Nope, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, 4. I'm going to skip over Romans 5, 6 if you would, please. I'm sorry. Even as in his love, he chose us, actually picked us out for himself as his own. I love, I love this translation of this. He actually picked us out for himself as his own. In Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, consecrated, and set apart for him, and blameless in his sight, even above reproach, before him in love. 
And I think that verse 5 is up there, if I'm not mistaken. Yay. For he foreordained us, destined us, planned in love for us to be adopted and revealed as his own children through Jesus Christ in accordance with the purpose of his will because it pleased him and it was his kind intent. See, these are verses that we can stand on. When we don't feel like we're worth it to God, if you'll throw verse 4 back up there, it says in verse 4 that he chose us and actually picked us out for himself. He went through everything that could have ever been made and picked us out. We were selected by him. We're hand-picked. Knowing what we would do, we were hand-picked by him. See, he had zero desire to punish us. His desire is always for the best. He never wants us to feel anything that's less than him. He always wants us. He all, that, it boils down to that. He always wants us. Even when it does not make sense how he could, he always desires us. He always chooses us. See, what it is, is we need to choose and we need to train our mind to focus on whose we are and what we're worth to him. It's really, it, it's as simple as that. We've been talking about it in the Sunday morning class that we need to set our mind on the things that are God and kick out the things that aren't because we have the authority to do that because of whose we are. Because we're worth that to God, he chose to give us that authority. Because of whose we are, he has given us a life that's filled with love. Because of whose we are, he's given us blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. Because of whose we are, he has kept us from the evil one. And he will continue to do so. See, for me, one of the things that I realized is how much God loves us. See, for me, it was difficult for me to do because I didn't really have a dad figure growing up. My dad and my mom split up, and so all throughout me coming to know who God was, I didn't have a dad to watch. I didn't have a dad that I could see and bounce stuff off of. So I didn't know that love could at all be unconditional. I didn't know that. It's, and that sounds really pathetic, I'm fine. But it sounds, it sounds really sad because it is. I didn't know. So I always thought that love was going to be a temporary thing and that I always had to keep earning it. And I can say this because they're not here and I can't look at them, but it wasn't until I watched Brian with the kids that I got to see what a dad was like, that, you know what, you can be corrective and you can, you can help discipline them and you can be an overseer of them, but even when they miss it, you're still going to love them. Yeah. Even when you miss it, they're still your kids. Even when they just make the craziest decisions, they're still yours. Yeah. You're, you still have this love for them. And I remember a time where I had done something, and I honestly I don't remember what I did, but I know I had done something that was not awesome, and I had to tell Brian and Nicole about it. And I was petrified, petrified, because I thought that I would lose them. And 
for me, that was synonymous with God. I thought that if I talked to God, I thought that if I told him what I had done, if I told him thoughts that I was having and things that I was feeling, that I'd lose him. And so when I finally talked to Nicole first, then Brian, but when I finally went in that order to them, it was, it was the most overwhelming thing I've ever experienced because it was the biggest demonstration of God that I've ever had because it was immediately a, okay, was that right? Probably not. Could you have done it differently? Absolutely. Are you going to do better in the future? Yeah. So let's go get dinner. It was something as simple as that. It was a, okay, you missed it. Let me help you with this. Let's go be together. Because at the end of the day, that's all God wants. It's, you missed it. Okay. Can you do better? You sure can. Let's go be together. Let's go be. Let's go be one together. He doesn't ever want us separated from him. He doesn't want us to be afraid of him because his love for us isn't temporal. His love for us isn't fluctuating. His love for us doesn't go up and down and up and down and up and down with whether or not we've served him properly. Our love, the love he has for us, it's determined. It's set. Our worth is never going to change because he already paid a price for us. It's not like he has to repay a price. He already did it. And you know what? You were worth everything he had. Everything. So he's not going to change his mind. He's not going to turn back on who he is. He's not going to turn around and be like, you know what? Shouldn't have paid that for you. Let's go return you back to the crap store. Like, it's not like he's going to go give you away. He's, you're his. And he's yours. He's ours. So what we need to decide to do is we need to decide that we're going to give ourselves to him. Not just some of the time, but all the time. And we don't need to be afraid of it. We don't need to feel like he is just this great big oppressor or he's this guy who's just going to be mad at us all the time. He's our dad. He's our friend. We're his bride. He loves us, even in our mess-ups. We're worth everything to him. That's how much he loves you. You're worth everything to him. It's not gloating. It's not bragging. It's not pride. It's knowing whose you are. You're God's, first and foremost. And so in those moments where it's easier on your flesh to give yourself to something else, to give in, to anything that's not God, choose God. It goes right along with the all-in message. And for me, this was the way that God boiled it down for me. If you're not choosing me, you're not, you're not for me. You're not with me because you don't know me. Because when you know whose you are, when you know what you're worth to him, you are worth everything to him. He would give up everything for you and did. You know that the plans he has for you are good. You know that the things he has for you are good. You know that anywhere he takes you to will be good. You know that the people that he has planned for your life are good. You know that everything is good, so there's no reason to keep yourself from him. That's what we need to choose to do. We need to choose to purpose ourselves, to believe who we are. And so we're just going to bow our heads. God, I love you so much. I thank you. I thank you that you have such a 
such a desire for us. I thank you that you love us, that you pursue us, that you chase us, that you gave everything for us. Not because we did anything, not because we were special on our own, but you decided that that's what we were worth. You decided that we were important to you. You decided that we were worth your son. You decided that. And if that's what you decided, that's who we are. If that's what you decided, that's what we're worth. And so God, today we choose to identify ourselves in who you say we are. We choose to identify ourselves in what you say we're worth. And we choose to reject anything that is not of you and not of your son. We choose to cast out anything that is not you. We choose to focus on you and you alone so that we are no longer people that are in rebellion against you, people that cheat on you, but that we are steadfastly yours, that we purpose ourselves to be yours, pure, holy, blameless. That is what your bride, of, that's what your bride is. That's what the church is supposed to be. And so tonight, let tonight be a night where we choose to make your church, to make your bride be all that you have said that we are. Not because we have to work at it, but because we just have to love you and you've already done the rest. God, you're so good and we love you so much. We thank you and we just give you all the glory and honor. Be with us as we leave tonight and just be with us for the rest of this week. In your name, amen. Well, thank you for being here and have a good night.